Thank you to the choir this morning uh, for leading us in worship and our musicians. By the way, that's exactly how I would have done it, guys. It was good. It was good this morning. Thank you for exalting the Lord Jesus. And a uh, word of thanks to so many people who have prepared for this day. Uh, we've been praying for this day for a long time, and so many of us have been uh, looking forward to uh, this very moment where we would be gathered together in the name of the risen Savior. If you're a guest here today, we've been praying for you. Even though we didn't know your names yet, we have been praying and praying uh, that we would have just <clears throat> the right day today that the Lord wanted us to have, that we would celebrate uh, the King of Kings in a way that he deserves, in a way that would bring joy to him. And so I'm thankful so far that God has answered those prayers. And thank you for those who've served and sat on the balcony and parked in far off places in the parking lot and gotten here early to, uh, to be ready for this uh, Easter Sunday. There's no other day like Easter. Uh, there, there's no other story like this that Jesus, uh, who existed eternally as a member of the Godhead, who was rightfully enthroned in a place of perfect privilege and power in heaven, that God in his compassion and mercy would see us creatures in our sin and when nothing else could be done to save us, came on his own and set foot on our dirt and walked through this life, suffering the misery, the hardship, the loss, the betrayal, everything, the temptation that you and I experience. And he walked this road ultimately to a cross uh, made of a tree of his own making and design and allowed those that he had made to pierce him and to pin him there with nails so that he could be there as a substitute for our sin. And instead of being clothed with the righteousness that he deserved, he was clothed with our sinfulness so that you and I, instead of being clothed with the sinfulness and the condemnation that we deserve, could instead be clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's totally unreasonable. That totally does not compute in our mindset that there would be a God of all power who would do anything like that for miserable creatures, worms of the earth like you and me. Yet he did, and he deserves all praise this morning. I heard a story this week about a little guy. His mom had fallen on hard times, and Easter was coming, and she always did her best to make him and the other kids, an Easter basket full of candy and all the things that she could. She was on a fixed income and single parent and trying to make this happen, and this year was going to be tough, and he decided he was going to write a letter to the Easter Bunny. And so he set out and he wrote a letter to the Easter Bunny and said, the Easter Bunny, you know, here's the situation. My mom loves us. She's a good lady. Uh, if, if we only had $100 dollars she could probably get the, the candy that she needs for our baskets. He's, he's shooting high, isn't he? He's a, he wants a good basket that year. And so he asked for $100, and the mailman who ran that route saw the letter to the Easter Bunny. No postage, no address. And so he didn't know what to do with it. He opened it up, and he saw the story, and he was moved by it. And he set out on his own to, <clears throat> to start saving up money to provide for this family. And so he did. He went without his regular lunches that he used to get, and he saved that money and, and put it away. He cracked open his little jar of savings at his house and put that in there. He even sold 
a few things of his own that he might could gather together this money, and the most he could come up with was $96. And so he put it in there, a letter back to the little boy <clears throat> from the Easter Bunny, sent it in to him, and the boy opened it up, and the mailman never knew what happened until he saw a letter back to the Easter Bunny, a thank you note. And he opened it up, and it said, Dear Easter Bunny, thank you so much for the gift that you sent to us. It made all the difference to my mom and to our family on Easter because of you. He said, I noticed, I couldn't help but notice that it was $4 short. <clears throat> he said, I know it wasn't your fault, though. It was that low-down mailman. So, <clears throat> God never comes up short, does he? I mean, this morning, we, we don't have a Savior who is still hanging on the cross, do we? He doesn't come up short. We don't have a Savior who is still concealed in the darkness, the shadow of that tomb, do we? No. God doesn't come up short. We have a risen Savior, and he lives forevermore. Amen? And so we worship him this morning. We're going to look together, <clears throat> if you will, with me at Romans chapter 8 today. <clears throat> and you'll have to forgive me, please. I don't know what's happening to me with my allergies, but... You just stay with me, if you will, and I'll try my best. Romans chapter 8 is a part of a letter written by, I think, the uh, Apostle Paul to people who were struggling with exactly one of the things that Trey mentioned earlier. Uh, do we have to earn our salvation? Do we have to do certain things and follow certain rules to gain being saved? If you want to go to heaven one day, do, do we have to live right? Do we have to be perfect? Are there standards we have to meet in order to earn this gift of God for which he gave himself on the cross? And the second question was this, do we have to keep it in our own power, in our own strength, in our own righteousness? Do we have to be righteous enough to hold on to, to maintain, and to keep the salvation that God has made for us. And the Apostle Paul, in this letter to the, the, the Christians at Rome, the Roman Christians, uh, he has spent considerable time articulating almost an academic case, very technical, very uh, f well framed and laid out uh, of no, this is a free gift of God by his grace. The cross is enough for us. What an insult it would be to say to the Lord Jesus, what a mighty work you've done, our Savior. What a powerful thing you did in giving yourself on our behalf. Uh, what an unparalleled uh, power you displayed in raising from the dead and living forevermore. But it's not enough for me. I've got to do something. I've got to save myself. I've got to keep it. And so he lays out <clears throat> this argument to say, no, the, the salvation of God is a free gift of grace that you accept, that you receive from God's hand alone. And he comes to what is kind of a culmination, a closing statement in Romans 8 <clears throat> and verse 31. After, after saying all he's had to say, he says this, what then Shall we say to these things, all that Paul has just discussed with them, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? The elect of God are just those that he has chosen to call to redemption. Those of, those of us here who are saved, who have saving faith in Jesus Christ, that's what's meant by the elect here. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who can say in the council of heaven, no, that one's not yours, God? Who can whisper in your ear, what demon of hell has the power to whisper in your ear, you're not of God? You're not saved. What failure in your life has the, has the power to rise up against you and say, aha, look, look again. I told you, you're not of God. You're not saved. You've got to do better. You've got to act better. You've got to be stronger. You've got to hold on. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed <clears throat> interceding for us. Here's what this means. Who's going who's to bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to condemn you when it is God who justifies? And who's higher than God? And how do we know it? Because Jesus has raised from the dead. Nobody's higher than God, and he's the justifier and so no one is left for con to condemn. <clears throat> Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it, is, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, for we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. What's left outside of that? Anything else in all exists in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our title this morning is Because He Lives. Why is it so important that Jesus lives today? There are three powerful, life-giving truths from God's Word I want us to look at together. The first is this. Because He lives, we can be rescued completely. Because He lives, we are rescued completely. The first uh, verse, verse 31 and 32, uh, set out to, to prove the point that when God saves a sinner, there is no force that can rob you back from what God has done. There is nothing that can revoke salvation once God has issued it. No one can overrule the work that God has granted to you and me. How do we know this? The Bible makes it clear in two ways. The first is this, God is the most powerful. Look at the, the first, who shall bring any charge against, I mean, rather, yeah, if God is for us, who can be against us. God is the highest. He is the most powerful. What he says goes and no one can overrule it. I've been battling one of my utility providers. I was calling them on the phone. It's not a real battle, but I've been uh, talking to them on the phone, trying to get them to change an address for us. 
for our utility provider. They say, we cannot change that address. I said, well, <clears throat> it's very important because we don't live there anymore and we're going to have a new address and would you please change the address? No, we can't. I have talked to people on every continent of the world. I've talked to supervisors and managers and then they'll put me on hold and they'll go talk to their manager and always comes back. One time they said, okay, we think we got it done. And I said, thank you so much. Then I got an email back that said, no, we couldn't do it. It cannot be done. We cannot change the address under these circumstances. And so I looked on the internet <clears throat> for places for customer service for Comcast, uh, just so you know. Uh, and um, uh, down on the page, you know, if you look in the search engine, you go page two, page three. Way back in one of the pages, I found um, a, little, a little link. It said, send feedback to Tom. And so I clicked on it. <clears throat> And it was a page there that said, you can fill out this form and send feedback to Tom at Comcast. And I thought, well, I'm going to try it. So I typed out a nice, very pleasant message to Tom, sent it in. <clears throat> and immediately, before the end of the day, I got a phone call and an email uh, and a text message from Tom's office. I thought, I don't know who Tom is, but I like this Tom. And so uh, he, um, I found out later that his name was Tom Karenshack. And he's the CEO of Comcast, uh, of Xfinity. Um, and so this link that was on the internet was not supposed to be active anymore. It was buried way down. It was one of these hidden things that, that nobody's supposed to find. And I, I just stumbled across it. And before uh, the end of business that week, guess what? My address was changed. Some lady called me and said, I'm calling for Tom Karenshek's office. <clears throat> and what is the problem here? I think we understand. Yes, we can do that address changed by Tom, right? And, and the, the message here is that no matter what anybody else at Comcast says, at a call center in a far-flung place or at the home office, no matter what they say, what really matters is what? What Tom says. Tom has taken down his uh, internet site, by the way. <laughs> Sent me a cease and desist letter. But uh, <laughs> when it comes to our salvation, my friends, as proved, as proved by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as certified by him being risen from the dead. Uh, th this is the, the, the certification and the seal of God's power. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that it does not matter what anyone else may have to say to you about your salvation. Anyone would bring a charge against those whom God has redeemed. Let it fall flat because all that matters is what the Lord says. The Bible says in John chapter 8, <clears throat> it says this, If the Son makes you free, listen, you are free indeed. He has the power to speak it, and once spoken, it is done and he will fulfill it to the end. The second thing here that we see is that God has given the highest gift. God is the most powerful, yes. But God has given the highest gift. And the argument is a simple one. You'll recognize if God has grace, has given his, did not spare his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The God who, who gave us Jesus is not going to withhold now from you the lesser things to enable you to finish to the end. You're not going to lose what God has given you. If he gave us his own son, 
then listen, he is going to see you through to the end. The resurrection of Jesus is God's demonstration of his uncontested power to declare that sinners like you and me can be his own sons and daughters. Do you believe that? We are sons and daughters of the king because of what Jesus did on the cross and raising from that empty tomb. We can be washed clean from our sins. We can be full heirs of eternal life. For anyone in Christ, that's us. Why? Because God says so, and who is left to say otherwise? We praise the Lord for that this morning. Because he lives, we can be rescued completely. It's said, it's done, it's final, it's over. Because he lives, secondly, we can be forgiven fully. We can be forgiven fully because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not only the power of God that matters here. It's not just that he is a powerful God, that, that his word is better than anyone else's, but it's the actions of God. What is God doing toward us? What is his disposition toward you and me? What's his attitude toward his redeemed? Well, the Bible gives us a clue to that. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? <clears throat> It is God who justifies. It, it, we want to appeal to the highest authority, to the supreme court of our salvation, to see what they say. Well, he's sitting up there as a justifier. God is the justifier. <clears throat> Who's going to do otherwise? I mean, that's what God is doing. What's Jesus doing? Maybe Jesus could bring a charge against us. After all, he is a co-equal member of the, the Godhead. Maybe Jesus could. What's Jesus doing according to this scripture Jesus, Christ Jesus, is the one who died, is the one who gave himself for our sins, now going to turn around and say, aha, got you. I'm taking this back. That's not enough. I'm condemning you. More than that, who was what? Raised in power. And more than that, who is indeed interceding for us. What does interceding mean? It means he's just speaking for us. I mean, he, he, he's, he's being our voice before God, whenever anyone might want to bring a charge against God's elect, whenever Satan might want to condemn, the voice of Jesus is saying, no, I paid for that. I paid for that sin. I just saw, I just saw Matthew. I just saw what he did. I just heard what he thought. I just felt that anger. And the Lord Jesus intercedes for us and says, no, he, Lord, Father, he's mine. He's mine. I paid for that sin. He's interceding for us. You know, we're buying a <clears throat> new house up in Pendergrass, and we went up there the other day to meet with the builder and to walk through it for uh, one of the last times and just to talk for a minute, and the builder was kind of looking at us funny, and he, like, like he, didn't, you know, he didn't know what to think about us, and we started talking, and finally he said, you know, you've got some rough people in your church. I said, well, how do you know that, you know? <clears throat> He said, well, because they've all been coming up here to look at your house. <laughs> he said, there's been so many people from your church who've driven up here, driven by the house. If I've been here, I find them looking in the windows. I find them walking around and, you know, looking at the siding. And he said, there was one lady in particular. I don't know if she's here. I won't tell you who it was. But <clears throat> there's one lady in particular. And he said, I walked over and I saw her up at the door just looking in the window and shaking the handle trying to get in. And I said, ma'am, can I help you? And she said, yes, you need to let me in. And uh, she said, I go to his church and I want to see the house. And so he said, okay. And he got the key and he let her in. 
He said she walked through and picked that place apart and said, no, 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 you need to fix this. She said she saw the concrete was a little spotted, and she really was bothered by that. She said, what's the matter with this concrete here? I know, what are you going to do about it? <clears throat> he tried to talk to her as nice as, as he could, and he said, I want you to know, you got some rough folks <laughs> at Poplar Springs. I said, don't I know it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I thought that was a good story. Um, it felt good to me anyway. Because I know it's unusual for someone to do that. But to me, it meant that I was cared for. You know what I mean? She thought enough to go up there and to do that. And maybe she was nosy about the house, but it seemed more like that she was protective of somebody that she loved, of me. That she was providing for me in her own way. That she was speaking, interceding for me. See, this intercession that the Lord Jesus does, when he speaks up, when he vocalizes our salvation in the cosmic places, the throne room of heaven, in any place where an accusation or a condemnation or a charge might come against you and me, when someone might want to threaten what God has already made for us, our salvation, the Lord Jesus says, no, no, no. They belong to me. He's interceding. He's providing. He's protecting. He's loving. <clears throat> he's caring for. And he is speaking for you and me. And so if that is the attitude of the risen Christ, the eternal God, justifier and intercessor, if that is his attitude, then who could be effective at bringing a charge against you and me? right? We're secure in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The voice of God as our justifier and the pleadings of the Lord Jesus as our Savior stand as the final word on our salvation. They echo in the universe as the eternally decisive and totally incontrovertible ruling of God in all places for all time forevermore. We're redeemed because Jesus lives. Do you believe that this morning? I'm going to say that again. We are redeemed because Jesus lives. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise God for the risen Savior this morning. But lastly, because he lives, <clears throat> we can be loved endlessly. What a truth that is this morning. Who, <laughs> who shall separate us from the love of Christ? A question that we know the answer to. Who shall do this? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or <clears throat> nakedness or danger or sword? You notice all the way leading up to death, sword? It's not like, it's not that it says you're not going to face these things. It's not that it says, hey, if you got Jesus on your side, there's going to be no tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, or sword, but know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death <clears throat> nor life, and we're all going to face death, every one of us is going to face death uh, today, not today, but we're going to all face death. Every one of us today is going <laughs> to face death. Even in the face of that, even in the face of that, nothing can separate us 
from the love of Christ. You see, a lot of things, there are a lot of things in life that can separate us from things that are dear to us. We were supposed to have guests here today from Chattanooga. Uh, they didn't make it because of sickness, but just uh, two weeks ago, family of five kids, ranging to oldest is 15 and down, mother and father <clears throat> who love the Lord. The mother died of cancer uh, just a few weeks ago at home in front of her family, laying there in the bed, agonizing situation. We've been corresponding with most importantly with the children <clears throat> and uh, talked to their, their dad on the phone, I think Friday night. Um, and they're, they're, I mean, they're in an awful place. I mean, I wish I could tell you that, that they, I left the conversation with them saying, it's all going to be okay. It's in the Lord's hands, you know. Uh, and they know that. But the pain there is indescribable. And it's lasting longer than anyone would want. And you may have been there too. There will, we'll be separated from jobs. We'll be separated from comfort. We'll be separated from, um, from a family. We'll be separated from loved ones. We will be separated from our lives at some point. But none of those things has the power to separate us from the love of Christ. And when that dear lady, that mother and wife, went to be with the Lord two weeks ago, there was not even a hiccup, not even a flash, not even a road bump in the, the continuous love of Jesus Christ toward her. She was in the love of Christ the whole time, and that is true of you and me today. Could anything happen to break the love of God? Could any hardship or terror come along that would somehow invalidate what God has done for us in his love? The answer is absolutely no, no, no. By enduring the cruel agony of the cross and passing through the darkness of death, <clears throat> The Lord Jesus proves that there is no pain, there is no cruelty, no betrayal, no battle that has even the remotest chance of severing the constancy of his everlasting love. And we may praise God for that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't leave no matter what. He's ours forever. Psalm 15, 115, has a description, a very vivid description of the idols, the false gods that people at that time were, were worshiping. And here's what it describes. They have no mouths, or rather they have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, an idol, he's crafted to have what looks like an ear, but they do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. And then verse 9 says this, O Israel, trust in the Lord. Have you trusted in dead things this morning? Think about this for just the last few minutes while we close. Is the weight of your life been resting on those things which produce nothing? 
They may have the appearance of strength, the appearance of joy, the appearance of comfort, but in the end, they have these things, but there's no power. They're producing nothing. You know it because you've lived it. You've been waiting and it's not happening. The voice of Scripture and the cry of the heart of God is to us this morning. Oh, Israel, oh, Poplar Springs, oh, loved one, trust in the Lord. We serve no dead God this morning. We have a living Savior. And the Bible tells us very simply that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can turn to Jesus this morning, no matter what. And once you're with him, you have a living Savior who never fails. Amen? Amen. And we praise God for it today. Let me pray for us. Just a moment, I would be delighted to offer you a chance to respond to what you've sung today, what you've heard from the choir, the truths of God from his word. Maybe today today you just want to come forward and pray a prayer of thankfulness to a God who uh, has done unimaginable things, has done what we could never do. Maybe today you need to come for the very first time to be what we call saved. It involves rescue, it involves forgiveness, And it involves an undying love. Would you turn to God and say yes to what he wants for your life? Would you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord today and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? You shall be saved. Maybe today you're a believer, but you know that you really have been putting the trust of your life in dead things. And you want to come back to God. The invitation is there for you as well this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God and for trusting it to us. And most especially today, we we hold up high, we celebrate vividly the resurrected Jesus Christ, our living hope. Thank you that he lives and reigns and intercedes for us. Help it to change us as individuals, as a church. Help us to live in that power as we walk from here today. We offer this to you in his mighty name, amen. Let's stand and sing, and as we do, I invite you to respond.